Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. God is bigger than our worries. I'm talking about the worry-free life. And, uh, you know, you think about it, is that really possible? Is it possible for an individual, for a Christian, to live a worry-free life? And uh, what would that be like? What would that look like? What would that mean to you? Uh, What an amazing, amazing thing that would be if we would learn how to live free from that fear and free from worry. And God wants us to do that. He's made provision for us to do that. And one of the utmost things for us to remember is, we talked about last week, these are reasons not to worry. Don't worry because, don't worry because. We gave several reasons not to worry. But it all kind of centers around or comes to a conclusion with what we're talking about today is there's absolutely no reason to worry when you really believe that God provides for you, that he's the provider. We talk about people being a good provider, that this this husband, this dad is a good provider for his family. He works hard. He provides for his own 
Of course, there's some moms that provide for their families too. Parents provide for their children. Caretakers that provide for others. Being a good provider. I, you remember the story of the guy who was walking along a cliff and he fell off the cliff. And on the way down, he grabbed a hold of a twig, a limb, a branch that was sticking out the side of the cliff. And he was hanging on, of course, totally overcome with fear and struggling and wondering what in the world he was going to do. And finally, he yelled. He said, uh, is there anybody up there? And the answer came back, yes, I'm God. Well, he was greatly relieved when he heard that, that there was someone up there and he said, it's God. Really? God, you're up there? Yes. And the tremendous relief and that there was an answer. And he said, well, God, what, what, what should, should, should I do? Is there anything that you can do to help? He said, yes, I can help. Well, what should I do? And he didn't get the answer he expected. You remember God said, let go of the branch. And so he held on there for a little while, and then he looked up and said, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes we want God to help us, but we won't let go. We won't do what he says, uh, especially if it means letting go of things we've been holding on to, things that we thought that we needed. There's some 170 verses in the Bible that talks about different ways that God provides. And one of the, uh, of the most powerful examples of provision is the heart-wrenching story that we find in the book of Genesis, all the way back to Genesis chapter 22. It's a disturbing story, but it's an amazing one. Now, uh, let's get a little bit of background first. First of all, we find a man by the name of Abram. And God called him to leave his town, the home area where he grew up, the land of Ur, uh, which is present-day Iraq, by the way. And God called him and said, to Abram, I want you to leave. Leave everything's familiar to you. And I want to go, you go to a place, a land that I will show you. Man, that took tremendous faith, didn't it? But Abram did exactly like that. And God gave him a promise. He says, you know, God, you know, Abraham, in your obedience, in your faith, I'm going to make a covenant with you, a promise to you. That through your offspring, that the nations of the world, that the world would be blessed. But now Abram was still a nomad wandering some around, a childless old man. Years went on, still his, his wife was not pregnant. And, and so he kind of took matters in his own hand. You remember the, the account of how he uh, basically fathered a child through his wife's servant, through Hagar. And Hagar gave birth to Ishmael, and Ishmael uh, was not God's promised son. It was uh, man's efforts uh, to do God's will his way, and that's never, ever, ever, ever a good thing to do, and there's problems still today because of that. Well, finally, after all this time, finally after 25 years of waiting, about the age of about 100, uh, the son of promise was born the son that God had promised him. In fact, uh, when the word was given to them from the angel of the Lord, when the word was given to them that a son would be born, and of course you know that Sarah was way past the age of childbearing, about 90 years old. And, and when she heard that news, you can imagine what she did. She laughed. Well, I mean, when you, I mean, that's funny. That must be a joke. That's laugh. And so the, God gave the son, the promised son, the name Isaac, which literally means laughter. Now, then there was, uh, there was a name change, and 
There's power in names. And you see this throughout Scripture, that names of people, names of things, had particular significance or meaning. And Abram had a name change. God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Instead of a great father, he became Abraham, which means the father of multitudes. He still just had legitimately one son, but God said, you're going to be the father of the multitudes. In other words, I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to follow through with what I said I was going to do in your life. And, and that's kind of where we pick up that, that son, the promised son has been born. And we pick up in Genesis chapter 22. And it's on the screen. If you have your Bibles, follow along with me. And we're going to go through several verses as we walk through this together this morning. Genesis chapter 22, beginning of verse 1. It says, sometime later. Now, after the birth of, we don't know how long, but sometime later, we believe Isaac had reached the age of about maybe 15, 16 years old. Sometime later, uh, God tested Abram's faith. God tested Abram's faith. Remember, God tests. He doesn't tempt you to evil. He tests you to bring about a place for you to exercise your faith, for you to grow, for you to learn about yourself, and for you to bring yourself into a place of obedience. But there are tests. Let's just face it. As Christians, God wants us to have a good life, a blessed life. He wants us to live in this life victoriously. But there are tests that we face in life. Now, it says, God tested Abraham... He tested his faith, and God called Abraham, and Abraham responded, yes, here I am. What a great response. If God calls you, that's the best. Here, here I am. And this was actually the seventh time that's recorded that God spoke to Abraham in the Old Testament. And here's what God told Abraham to do. He said, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Now, there couldn't be any doubt whatsoever what God meant when he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, the one that you love so much. In other words, you don't need to be confused about what I'm saying right here. You know who I'm talking about. He says, go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him. Go and sacrifice your son, your only son. Isaac, the one that you love, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now, of course, there were even pagan religions that, that would make, that would offer certain things to gods and, and they would have offerings, burnt offerings, thing, but don't, don't mistake that for God's system of offerings that were set up when he set up the tabernacle and the temple. And remember, that when he gives us instruction about the particular offerings that are made, that they have significance. It's not the loss of so much animal life. It's the fact of the substitutionary act of one on behalf of another. And so there had to be a sacrifice. Sin owed a debt. With sin comes penalty. With sin comes condemnation. So there has to be a sacrifice to cover, to atone, to take the place of that. And so the offering system, a very... Uh, what seems to us to be a very involved, extreme, meticulous uh, a strategy or plan of offerings uh, God presents, particularly in the book of Leviticus. But the burnt offering was a total sacrifice, total offering. And it meant complete sacrifice. It says, go and sacrifice your son as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I'll show you. Now, how, what happened? How did, how did God hear how, how did Abraham hear God speak here? How did God 
communicate with him. We're not told. Uh, There's no burning bush listed here. There's no great command from heaven that we hear. There's no ladder to heaven. It was a simple command that came from God. And we don't know exactly what form that took, do we? We don't know if he heard some type of voice actually speak to him. We don't know that if he received that in some type of vision. We don't know. All we know is that God called Abraham. Abraham said, here I am. And, and God said, here's what I want you to do. So he got a clear word from God. Now, how do you think that made Abraham feel when he was given that command? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would go through your mind? Can you imagine the confusion? Hey, this is the one you promised me. And for all these years I waited. And you said that through him all the nations of the world will be blessed. And now you're asking me to sacrifice his life as an offering? Listen, it would have been completely natural. It would have been strange if there wasn't some season or time to say, God, what in the world are you doing here? Bound to be some confusion. Bound to be some anxiety there in some respect. The God who made the promise seems to be putting the promise into jeopardy. Abraham had already lost his first son, if you will, Ishmael. He was sent away with his mother. And now the only son remaining, his son Isaac, was to lose his life. We get verse 3. Now remember, God says, this is what I want you to do. Then, verse 8. The next morning, Abraham got up early, saddled his donkey, took two of his servants with him, along with his unsuspecting son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for fire for a burnt offering, and he set out for the place that God had called him to or talked to him about. We'll come back to this in just before we close today in just a few minutes. We'll come back to this, but I want you to note when God instructed, when he told Abraham to do something, look what Abraham did. He took immediate action. He followed through. Now, look at verse 4. On the third day, everybody say third day. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And then he told his servants, he said, I want you to stay here with the donkey and the boy and I will travel a little further up the mountain. Look at what he says next. This is extremely important. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there and then we, then we will come right back. That is absolutely amazing considering the instruction that he'd been given from God. Offer him as a burnt, complete sacrifice. That's amazing. He'd say, look, we're going up and then we're going to come back down. Both of us. Now we might think, well, you know, that's just what he told them. But no, we'll find in just a moment that that's exactly what he believed. And one of the fascinating things about this is that when he said this, there's no record of there ever having been a resurrection or mention of resurrection anywhere. That life would be raised from the dead. So Abraham left his servants there and went on. And by the way, 
Sometimes you have to, there, there are times you have to separate from people because they're going to hold you back or hinder what God's told you to do. And there was the potential that if he had gone on up with these servants that they would have challenged the very word and the will of the Lord. I can draw your attention. Don't hang out with people that draw your attention away from God. Love them, pray for them. Certainly you have to spend time with people. But don't hang out. Don't invest time. Don't, you'll never have a good relationship if you're trying to develop a relationship with someone that's going to discourage you from following through with God's plan for your life. Yes? Amen. Uh, verse 6. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the, the fire and the knife. And the two of them walked on together. Isaac turned to Abraham. This is this, this teenager walking up there with his dad and they're going up the mountain. He says, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. Well, we have the fire and the wood, but where is the sheep or the lamb? For the burnt offering. Abraham's answer. God will provide. Jehovah Jireh. God will provide a sheep, a lamb. For the burnt offering. And they both walked on together. And when they arrived at the place where God had told him. Now you have to understand. The dynamics of this. The tension. The stress. The, what was going on in the mind of not only Abraham. But in the mind of Isaac. When they got to the mountain, Abraham built an altar, arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. It's kind of just puzzling to a lot of people. Why in the world would God ever ask him to do this? But at that moment, Abraham with knife in his hand, drawn back. At that moment, the angel of the Lord, I think it's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear, respect, hold in awe, reverence God. I know that you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram, or a lamb, or a sheep, whatever terms used in translation, and, and it was caught in the thorns or uh, caught by the horns in a thicket. Now, we don't know if that lamb was there before and Abraham just didn't see it. Or if in God's infinite creative power, that lamb had been provided and was on his way to this location. Even while these events were taking place, we don't know. It's fascinating to think about. But nevertheless, when he offered his all in worship and surrender to God, and God said, now I know your heart. Now I know your heart. Now I know that you reverence me above everything and everyone else. That's when 
Abraham was able to see God's provision. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by the horns in the thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place or substituting it for his son. And Abraham named the place where he was Yahweh Yireh or Jehovah Jireh. Now soon we're going to go back and we've been through these things before and many of you have studied them, but I felt impressed for the Lord to take a season of time in the near future to actually walk through some of the significance of God's names. God's, God has several names in Scripture. It doesn't mean there's more than one God. His names reveal to us His character. His names re- reveal to us what He does, who He is. And they are so powerful when you look at them in Scripture. But here we see the name Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah means Lord. Jireh we say will provide. It's interesting here, and I don't have time to get into details on it, but the Hebrew verb here literally means to see. God already saw the need that was there. Is one way to look at this. Or we could see that the Lord sees to it. He's already seen to it that your needs are met. He sees to it that your needs are met. He sees to it. He provides for you. He is our provider. Verse 15, then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. After all these events, these these climatic events, it says that this is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and through you, your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. One thing just a little insert here is that when when Abraham responded to God to go up to the mountain, the mountaintop, we say he offered a burnt sacrifice. That was an act of worship. And he understand that worship involves hearing God. Worship involves following or obeying God. Worship involves Preparation and planning. Sometimes the reason worship is not as effective or strong here, there are several reasons. Sometimes is there's, there's some presence here in this building that is, uh, that is interfering. You know, the enemy hates us, for us to worship God. And I've been in places where there, there have been situations where just the presence of someone interfered with the atmosphere. Because they were resisting what God was doing. Or there was, there was hate or bitterness there. That 
can hinder worship. Another thing that can hinder worship is the fact that we so busied ourselves with everything else and filled our lives with everything else that we come to a place unprepared to really offer ourselves to him in worship. So I would challenge all of us, not just on Sunday, it's good to worship him, we're to worship him every day, but particularly as a body of believers, when we have the opportunity to come together and meet together on Sunday mornings, what a powerful opportunity that is to see the manifestation of God, to experience the presence of God, and to magnify His name together. We is so how amazing it would be if we would set our minds and hearts that prior to arriving here on Sunday morning, that we've already opened our hearts to Him. We've already brought anything that's hindering us from worship. We brought it before him and confessed it and surrendered it. And the Lord said, Lord, I just come to you because of your grace and mercy. And I am here all out, all in to worship you. Yes. Can you see how important that is? That worship requires a, a, a preparation. Well, I want you to look at three things with me as we hear that I think very important when we look at this account. Of God's provision, Jehovah Jireh, God provides or God sees to it. Now, first, God's provision is an act of love. God's provision, that's why he created heavens and the earth. That's why he created man. That's why he created the world and everything in it. It was an act of love. It wasn't just a game he was playing. It was a way for God to demonstrate his love through his creation. And everything he created, listen, Everything he created was good. Everything he created was very good. Everything he created was in order, not disorder. And so God demonstrated his love in his creation. And God demonstrated and demonstrates his love through covenant. He made a covenant. He keeps his word, his promise. Covenant beginning in the Old Testament, coming all the way through to the New Covenant, which Jesus bought and paid for with his blood on the cross. Now we have that covenant, that binding agreement with God. The New Covenant is amazing. And that's where we belong as believers, in covenant with him there. So God expresses love through creation, through covenant, and we see it demonstrated through the cross. He demonstrated his love by the cross, by Jesus dying on the cross. It was an act of love that provided something for us. Now, when we think about that, we think, well, no, wait. Doesn't God love everybody? Yes, he does. But are there people that are doing without, that are lacking, that don't seem to be provided for? Doesn't God love them? Does it mean that only those that have God's provision in their lives are the only one he loves? Absolutely not. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his own, his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved us. The Bible says he loved us before we loved him. The Bible says in Romans that, that, that is important. He says he demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he, he died for us. So we look at people and say, look, there are people, who, it rains on the just and the unjust, doesn't it? Remember, we've talked about this before. Remember, we, we always took that, that, that adage and we said, uh, uh, it rains on the just and unjust, so that must mean everybody's got to go through some tough times. Everybody's got to go through some sad times. It rains on the just and unjust. 
I choose, not only see truth in that, but I choose to see the other side of that. We've had an overabundance rain in some areas, and you know what I'm talking about there. But how many of you know that rain is a good thing? Rain is a good thing. And so I would say good things come to the just and the unjust. There are some people that are blessed that if I was just thinking as a human being, what I thought about, I think you don't deserve that. You don't deserve to have all that stuff. You don't deserve to have that great family. You don't deserve to have that money. You don't deserve that. You don't love God. You don't, you don't have any interest in spiritual things. You're not connected to any ministry, any body of believers in any way. You just don't care. And look, it looks like everything's just as we say hunky-dory. Everything's good. It rains on the just and the unjust. There are situations where we know that people walk and by God's mercy, they, they have still been blessed even though they've made no effort to honor and recognize it's from him. It does happen. Then there are those that we see as being innocent, that those that are hungry, that are hungry, that are starving, that have so little or even nothing, that are suffering in different places in this world. And we look at it and we say, it's just not fair. That's exactly right, it's not fair. But last time I checked, Satan, the devil, what he does is not fair. It's never fair. And unfortunately, those situations are in this world, not because God doesn't love them. He still loves them. He still loves them. But provision doesn't come just through love. Provision comes because of our response to that love. That's important. And some people are hurting. Children are hurting. Innocent children are hurting. And that's tragic. But that's the result of generational sin or rebellion against God. That's the result of leadership in a country, an entire country that shakes its fist in the hand of God, uh, in, in the face of God, shakes its fist in the face of God and says, we don't need you or we're going to serve some other God. If you study the scriptures carefully, anytime you find anyone or any group says, we're not going to, we don't believe, we don't recognize you as God, we reject you as God, we're going to serve some other God, then the result of that is going to be bad. And it's not only going to be bad for those who made that decision, it will be bad sometimes uh, for those who are innocent or didn't make that decision themselves and how tragic that is. There are situations where the sins of the fathers are visited all the way to the third, fourth generation. It's tragic. It's not God's heart. It's simply not God's heart. But God's provision comes because God is love. God loved Isaac more than Abraham. There's that that's so important for us to see that God's provision is an act of love, the love of God. And that's it's unconditional, first of all, but it requires our response. He loves us even when we messed up. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, or what manner of love is wow, what manner of love, amazing, incredible, great love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. And listen, true love for God produces obedience. And we don't like to use the term obey obedience too much because it seems to be too confining or too legalistic. But if we approach it from the standpoint that obedience is that I choose to please God, I want to do what he tells me to do. God's provision follows obedience. You know, 
There's no indication that when God said, this is what I want you to do. Take your son, your only son, take him and offer him as a burnt uh, sacrifice on the mountain. He says, he said, there's no indication that I can find the scripture at all that Abraham hesitated in any way. He didn't listen to that and said, well, you know, I need to think about that a while. That doesn't make sense, God. That... Has God ever put anything on your heart or let you do something that in your mind it didn't exactly make sense? Of course. He didn't go around and check other people's opinions to say, you know, God told me to do this, but what do you think? Oh, how often I've run into that. We need counsel and advice from good, reliable Christian leaders and those who, who love us, who love God, who, who can speak, led by the Holy Spirit, speak from uh, give us good counsel. That's important. But how often we get a word from the Lord and then we just kind of try to get a consensus from people around us. That's why, little sideline here, that's why so many churches have messed up that when they have no pastor, they decide to get a consensus of everybody there and let's just vote. What a mess that is. It's not scriptural, number one. And oh, the pain and hurt. Now, God can still bring a man where he wants it there, but he does that oftentimes in spite of the vote of the people, not because of it. I've been in this thing for over 50 years. I've seen a lot of different stuff in churches. But you can't, what, what's important, when you're making a decision, if it's, it's the church making a decision about a pastor or leadership, if you're making any kind of decision, the important thing is seek the Lord. What are you hearing from him? Be careful about going around and getting consensus from everyone else and say, what do you think? Because people are all different levels spiritually. You know, these horrifying stories of even churches are coming to vote on some big issue. So they round up everybody that's mad at the church and everybody that's left and everybody that's been gone. And they say, come on, we're going to have a vote. Let's get a consensus. Now, we know this is what the Lord has told us to do, but what do you think? Let me tell you, when you've heard what God's told you to do, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. Let me tell you, when you've clearly heard what God tells you to do, told you to do, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. Now, that's not to say that we, or it's not to say that there's not times to confide in others. That's not to say that, that, you're, you're, that we should never confide or trust someone's advice. We need advice and input. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the shallow idea that, well, this is my opinion of what I think you should do or what I think maybe you heard God say. We need some input from people, but let me tell you something. When God speaks to you, you just need to have a heart and an ear to hear him yourself, and then he'll confirm it through other people. He'll confirm it through other people. So that, that's, that's, that's important. So God's provision follows obedience. Abraham didn't delay his obedience. Remember, I said, I said, we'll come back to this. Remember the verse where I said God told him this, and it says the next day, early in the morning. He didn't hesitate. The next morning he got up early, and he went out, and he made all the preparations, everything. He went to work quickly to do what God told him to do. Oh, how that would change our life if we could learn when we hear from God to go and do quickly exactly what he told us to do. He didn't delay. Listen, delayed obedience 
is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Hey, what if Abraham had just gone part of the way? He would have never, ever seen or experienced Jehovah Jireh in the way God wanted him to. This is important. Obedience leads to provision. God provided a ram when he saw Abraham's obedience. Abraham believed in spite of the lack of evidence, in spite of of, uh, what he could see with his own eyes. He still believed, or what he couldn't see, that there was any other way to go through this other than take his son's life. And, And he obeyed God in spite of what might be the consequences. God's is our provider because his provision is an act of love. God's our provider because his provision always follows obedience. Don't forget the key to do what he says. And then finally, God's provision is received through faith. As basic as that is, it is crucial that God's provision is received through faith. Well, actually... The writer of Hebrews tells us about that in the life of Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19, New King James Version, listen to this. This is all the way over in New Testament. This is hundreds of years later, you understand. In the New Testament, it says, By faith, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. But he considered not, he, con- uh, he considered that, he, this is what he considered, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Uh, you see, the writer of Hebrews, New Testament, says that this is what happened. It was Abraham's faith. When it was tested, he believed. He believed. He even believed that even if the life was taken, that God would raise him from the dead. That's faith, especially when you have no, as you know, there's no record of that ever happening or seeing or him knowing about it before. But somehow, so to some miracle, God was going to do it. He believed it. He believed it. He believed it. That's the only way he was able to go through with this because he trusted God. There's certain steps, certain things you and I can't do unless we get to the place to where we completely and firmly, wholly trust God. And sometimes tests are good because it shows where we are on that scale is where we are truly trusting him completely. And the writer of Hebrews says, you know, even though his life wasn't taken... It says actually he was raised in a figurative way because he was as good as gone. In Abraham's mind, his life was going to be taken, but it was spared, so he did get his son back. Abraham acted in faith. He believed that God would provide this kind of miracle, and God did. Abraham knew that what he saw in the spiritual realm, that God, remember, Abraham already saw in the spiritual realm that they would both go up the mountain and that they would both return. He already believed it. That's faith. 
He'd not even been through the experience before, but he already believed it. He had that confidence that whatever way God was going to do it, God was going to keep his word, that the worlds were going to be blessed through his son, and there was no other way for that to happen unless his son was alive. He firmly believed God. He firmly placed his faith in him. And when God saw that, then amazing things happened. Abraham moved in faith. Some people are missing the joy of the Lord and God's blessings, keeping them, they're keeping them from fully being released fully in their lives because they're holding on to something else and they're not acting in faith. It's a beautiful, powerful account here in Genesis 22, but it's also a dramatic picture of Jesus Christ who is our provider. Jesus, we, everything we have comes through him. When you go back and look at the type there, we call it typology. When you look at the types that uh, the Old Testament, Isaac is a type of Christ. You see, Isaac carried wood on his back up the mountain. Jesus bore the weight of the wood of the cross up the mountain. Isaac and Jesus were both submitted to death. Isaac and Jesus were bound. Mount Moriah was where where the offering was to be made, actually was where the temple was eventually built. And on that very site, the blood of, uh, of, of, of animals, of sheep, lamb, goats, soaked the very wood that was there. Countless offerings were made there at Mount Moriah. And scholars tell us that this Mount Moriah is the same mountain we call the Mount Calvary that it is Calvary, that it is Golgotha, that this is the very place where the offering, where Jesus laid his life down and became our total sacrifice. Abraham and Isaac traveled three days to the mountain where Isaac was spared. Jesus was buried for three days before being raised. Isaac learned about substitutionary sacrifice when the lamb was killed in his place. Jesus, as our perfect lamb, gave his life for us in our place. God's provision, listen folks. If you're worried about something, if you're facing something that is tough, that you're going through right now, if you're dealing with things in your life, physical, emotional, family, relational, If you're dealing with spiritual needs in your life right now, you need to know that Jehovah Jireh is close by. You need to know that the Lord is your provider. If you're facing things that you're kind of worried about or upset, looking at the future, maybe the future for your family, your job, decisions you got to make, there's no need for anybody who believes he's Jehovah Jireh to ever worry. I'll just say that one more time, just so we'll get it inside here so that when we start to worry, we'll remember it, okay? We'll remember this when we start to worry. There's absolutely no reason for someone who believes, really believes, who knows Jesus, who really believes that he is Jehovah Jireh, there's no reason to ever worry.
Now that's powerful. Because that's just simply saying that whatever you need and whatever you're facing, your God is enough. He'll provide it for you. Now you don't just sit on your hands. You don't just sit there and, you know, twiddle your thumbs. You don't just, you know, there are responses to listen to him, obey him, and act in faith. You understand? But when you do that, boom. Maybe I shouldn't say that because people will expect an immediate response. That doesn't always happen. I wish it always was like that. But you have to trust him. You must trust him. Could it be that there's something that you're keeping inside that's keeping you from seeing Jehovah Jireh? Could it be that there's something you're not willing to let go of that's keeping you from really seeing, experiencing Jehovah Jireh? I don't know. Only you and the Lord know. But the truth is, if we don't let go, if we don't let go, we prevent God from doing what he wants to do in our lives. I use a little anachronism, top, T-O-P, that when it comes to this kind of life, expect there will be testing in your life. Test. Abraham was tested. Is this real? Is this real? Is this, is this faith real? Is your commitment real? Obedience. Obedience and provision. Test followed by obedience equals provision. So no matter what test you are facing or what test you may face in the future, you need to understand that when there's testing, obedience slash faith always brings you to a place of provision. Now, that's high-dollar stuff. You understand what I'm saying? This is valuable. It is basic, but it's valuable. If we're to ever come to a place to where we don't just kind of cast this off to the side and say, oh, you know, everybody worries. Everybody worries. I can't get by what this life is. I'm just a worrier. We need to shut up with that confession of ourselves. I say that kindly. And, and, and we need to commit ourselves to say, wait. Wait, wait, I've heard all these reasons why I don't need to worry. And above everything else, I've heard that I can't worry because if I trust him as my provider, everything's okay. Even in tests, even in difficult times. Hey, the scripture says, Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He, talking about God, the Father. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Perhaps the provision will only come when you, you and I step out in obedience and do what God has asked us to do. There's no reason to worry if you really believe he's Jehovah Jireh. I said there's no reason to worry if you believe he's Jehovah Jireh.
Jireh. That's easy, somewhat easy to say. And kind of easy when we're not facing any real challenges or tests. But regardless, it's true in the good times and in the tough times. No worries. Father, in the name of Jesus, my heart is to set myself on you, to hear and to know you as my provider in every situation. My heart is to fully trust you, to declare that you are Lord of my life. I will have ears to hear. I'll have a heart to receive your word, which is true. Your word, which, Lord, through your promises, supplies everything I need according to your riches and glory. And that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And that regardless of any situation, I can rest, I can find that place of refuge and rest, and I can walk through this by faith. And I can experience a worry-free life. Lord, that's our confession. That's our prayer. Understand this with anything. And I'm closing right now. Understand this with anything. In a walk of faith and learning how to apply God's word to your life and in growing and being, growing in discipleship and becoming more like him. That we would like for that pattern for our lives to be like this. Constant increase, constant growth. Okay? But here's kind of what it is. Here's kind of the way it is. It's kind of like this. And this. And this. And this. And this. And this. It's a process. When you come up against things that hit you and just... Immediately, you have the sense of, of doubt or a sense of worry or fear. And these things begin to go in your mind. And you hit one of these little dips. Stop. Turn around. Turn to him. And by his grace and mercy and by your faith, climb up out of it quickly and cut it out of your life. And more and more and more and more and more, you'll increase to becoming a worry-free life. Don't expect, I, I would love to do this, but my faith is not in the place yet to think that we're all going to walk out this building and none of us this next week are going to worry about anything. I love you, but I just don't believe that. <laughs> I've got situations in my own life. But what I'm saying is, remember what we said last week? I'm on my way. And here's what my desire and heart is, is that each one of you and I would commit to say, Lord, I'm on my way. I'm going to let things go that are hindering. And I'm going to learn to trust you more and more every day as my provider. I'll do what I'm supposed to do. I'll obey. I'll respond in faith. But you're my provider. Well, can you receive that this morning?